We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, the only piece in Hilchos Chiyo Matana. This is Perek Dalet Halacha Vav. And this is a little bit of an unusual piece because Rab Chaim starts with one topic and then really devotes most of the piece to an entirely different issue. The issue Rab Chaim begins with is the question of whether a child or a non-Jew could acquire an object on behalf of someone else. So Rab Chaim has a question on the formulation of the Rambam and how this fits in more broadly to the Gemara's discussion. But from there, Rab Chaim ends up analyzing a piece of Gemara which has to do with Meiser Shani, which is the extra Meiser taken in years 1, 2, 4, and 5 of Shemitah, which the produce had to be eaten in Yerushalayim. So Rab Chaim's going to analyze the process of redeeming Meiser Shani and transferring that sanctity onto a coin and taking the coin up to Yerushalayim instead and how exactly that process works. The Rambam writes, A person cannot acquire a gift on behalf of their friend unless the person acquiring it is an adult and they have agency. So it has to be a person who's able to acquire things in order to acquire it for someone else. A goy cannot acquire something for a Jew because a goy cannot be a messenger ever. In in halacha, a non-Jew is not valid to be a messenger. So, so therefore, he cannot acquire something on behalf of a Jew because he can't play any role as his shliach, as his messenger. A child who knows the difference between a stone versus a nut, so they understand the value of objects. So if you give them a stone, they throw it away because they realize that it's worthless, whereas a nut they keep. So a child, once they've reached that level of understanding of finance and the world, they could acquire things on behalf of themselves. So someone could give this child an object and they can acquire it for themselves, but not on behalf of someone else. So the Rambam lists three categories in this halacha. An adult Jew can acquire things for themselves and for others. A non-Jew cannot acquire for others. And a child who understands the value of money can acquire things for themselves, but not for others. Now, this comes from the Gemara and Gitin Samachtal If a child can differentiate between a nut and a rock, he can acquire things for himself, but not for others. But if he can return something after a while, so you can give him something, and then he knows to give it back, so that's a higher level of maturity, so then he could acquire things for himself as well as for others. Now, when Rav Yehuda reported this halacha of Rav Asi differentiating between the two stages of different children to Shmuel, so Shmuel disagreed, and he said they both have the same halacha. So the Gemara asks, what is that halacha? Rav Chista said both of those levels of maturity of the children differentiating between rocks and nuts and being able to return something, in both cases, the child can only acquire for themselves and not for others. So the Rambam is ruling like Shmuel. That's why he says that a child can only acquire for themselves and not for others. And he doesn't differentiate between maturity levels. So the Rambam bases his halacha on this Gemara in Gitin and he follows the view of Shmuel. 
Now, the source for the halacha of a non-Jew acquiring things, so that's in Bab Metziah Ayn Aleph Amid Beis. Ravina said, Nachri Ravina tried to argue that even though a non-Jew cannot acquire things for a Jew because they can't be a messenger, but the other way around should work. So if a Jew acquires something on behalf of a non-Jew, that should work because it's no worse than a child. A Jew could acquire something for a child, so they should be able to do the same for a non-Jew. So the Gemara counters that in fact you cannot compare a goy to a katan because a katan asilichlal shlichus, a child is eventually going to grow into an adult who could be a messenger. So this is a temporary limitation that they cannot be a messenger, as opposed to a goy who's never going to be able to be a messenger. So according to the Gemara, a Jew cannot acquire something on behalf of a non-Jew because that non-Jew is never going to be able to be a messenger, as opposed to a Jew acquiring on behalf of a child, which does work because the child is going to grow up and become an adult Jew. So that's the way the Gemara presents this. Now, the Rambam quotes the same idea that a non-Jew can never be a messenger, but he quotes it on the other case. The Rambam brings this idea in order to explain why a non-Jew cannot acquire things on behalf of a Jew when the Gemara used it the other way, that a Jew cannot acquire things on behalf of a Goy because the Goy is not ever going to be able to be a Shliach. So the Rambam is reversing where he's applying this explanation. And we don't even need an explanation why a Goy cannot acquire on behalf of a Jew, because that follows the same way that a child cannot acquire on behalf of a Jew, even though eventually a child will grow into being able to be a messenger. But since right now they cannot, so they cannot acquire on behalf of a Jew. So it doesn't matter whether it's a temporary limitation or forever. So why is the Rambam saying that the reason a non-Jew cannot acquire on behalf of a Jew is because it's a permanent limitation that he can't be a messenger when that's not even true. Even a temporary inability to be a messenger, like a child, still they cannot acquire on behalf of a Jew. So that's why the Gemara only uses this permanent limitation to explain why a Jew cannot acquire on behalf of a Goy. So why does the Rambam reverse it and use that logic to explain why a Goy cannot acquire for a Jew, which doesn't even need such an explanation? So to explain the setup of the Rambam, Rab Chaim begins with a debate between Rashi and Tosvos in the Gemara and Gitin. Again, the view of Rav Asi is that if a child can return an object, so they've reached that level of maturity, so then they can acquire things for themselves as well as for others. So Rashi explains that when they acquire something for others, that's only Midra Banan. It's not under Torah law. It's just a rabbinic enactment that this child can acquire things for others. But under Torah law, that would still not work. Tosvos disagrees because the Gemara later brings a proof from a case and it pushes it off that it's Shitufe Mivuos Dra Banan. The Gemara says that that's a case where something needs to get done, Midra Banan. So it sounds like everyone agrees that Midra Banan, the child can certainly acquire things on behalf of others. The debate is whether this works under Torah law. Is it even Midra when the child acquires something on behalf of others? And Rab Chaim adds that Tosvos's proof also also comes from another step in the Gemara where it compares this to Atzitz She'eno Nakuv, a potted plant without holes. 
So the Gemara again counters that that's Drabbanan. So again, the Gemara seems to be saying that everybody agrees it's very clear that this child with this maturity could acquire things on behalf of others according to the rabbis. The question is whether that even works under Torah law. Now, Tosos asks, according to the view that this works even under Torah law, so how is that possible? Because the child cannot be a messenger. So how is a child acquiring something for someone else if they cannot be a messenger? If the rabbis made a special enactment, then that could work. But how could this work under Torah law? So Tosvos answers that a child is not totally removed from being a shliach. Only things that the child themselves cannot do, then they also cannot be a messenger. But anything that the child themselves could do, so that they could also be a messenger for. So since this child is able to acquire things on their own behalf, they're also able to be a messenger to acquire things for other people. So that's how Tosos explains how this is going to work, that the child acquires something on behalf of someone else, Mida Oraisa, because in that case, they could be a messenger because they're able to acquire things for themselves. Now, Rashi, who disagrees with Tosvos, and he holds that the child can only acquire something on behalf of someone else, only at best Midra Banan. So Rab Chaim explains, either he believes that children are totally excluded from being messengers, not only from things that they can't do, but from everything. So it doesn't matter whether they could do it or not, a child can never be a messenger. That's option one. Or option two is that Rashi agrees with Tosvos that if the child could do it, it, then he could be a messenger, but Rashi holds that a child actually cannot acquire things on their own behalf, because the fact that a child could acquire something only works midra banan. The halacha is that a cheresh shotevekatan, groups of people who do not have agency, so they're unable to process things properly, so if they find something, it belongs to them, and if someone takes it, they're stealing midra banan. So we see that a child can only acquire things midra banan, so according to Rashi, you can't say that the child could be a messenger on a deoraisa level when the only reason they can acquire things to begin with is only draw banan. So being a messenger is also only going to be draw banan. Now, there is a case where a child could acquire something under Torah law, and that is where an adult acquires it on their behalf. So if an adult acquires something on behalf of the child, then it belongs to the child, even Mida Oraisa. So now this would be a case where a child could acquire something Mida Oraisa. But says Rab Chaim, that's a totally different case. The child is not doing the acquisition. The adult is doing it. They're just doing it on behalf of the child. But we never find that a child could do the actual acquisition of something Mida Oraisa. And even more so, Rab Chaim adds that that Rashi's view in Sukkah and Vavamid in the issue of acquiring a lulav for a kid. So Rashi seems to say that even where an adult acquires it on behalf of the child, that also doesn't even work Mida Oraisa. So even where an adult acquires something for a child, that only works Midra Banan. So Rashi is very consistent in his view that a child can never acquire something Mida Oraisa, not on their own behalf, and not even if an adult acquires it on their behalf. Either way, 
it only works midra banan. A child can only own something midra banan. So that makes sense that according to Rashi, the child cannot be a messenger to acquire something on behalf of someone else, mida oraisa, that could only work midra banan. Because on a Torah level, the child is considered someone who cannot acquire something at all, which includes even if an adult acquires it on their behalf. So that is Rashi's view. Now, why does the Gemara keep differentiating in the case of Shitufe Mavos and Atzit Nakuv? The Gemara keeps saying that those are not relevant to this discussion because they're Drabanan. But according to Rashi, the whole debate is Drabanan. So they are relevant. So Rab Chaim explains that what that line means according to Rashi is not that since those cases are Drabanan, so everyone agrees that the acquisition is going to happen. What that line means is that since those cases are are drabanan, the rabbis did not require an actual acquisition. So even though the child may not be able to acquire anything, even on a drabanan level, but since those requirements of halacha were created by the rabbis, so they built into it that even if the child does not fully acquire the object, it still works. So that's how to read those lines. It's not saying that everyone agrees midrabanan, the acquisition works. It's saying that in those cases, the rabbis waived the full requirement of an acquisition and even the child's non-real acquisition is still sufficient. So that makes sense of Rashi's approach to this Gemara. Says Rab Chaim that the Rambam reads the Gemara like Rashi because in this halacha he ruled that a child cannot acquire things and yet in the first chapter of Hilchus Erevin he writes that a child could acquire something on behalf of someone in a halacha that is only rabbinic. So how does that work? The Rambam never said that the acquisition works Midra Banan. So it must mean, like Rab Chaim just explained in Rashi, even though the acquisition does not work Midra Banan, because that's the view of Shmuel, still it's sufficient in a rabbinic law because the rabbis waived the requirement of a full acquisition. So when the halacha is only Dra Banan, the rabbi said that whatever a kid is able to do is enough, even though it's not an actual acquisition. So the Rambam reads that Gemara like Rashi. But says Rab Chaim, there is a problem with the way Rashi and the Rambam are reading this Gemara. Because the Gemara there quotes Masi Rav Avya Marimin al Maiser Shani. Rav Avya has a question from a Brisa which says that there is a way to play games with redeeming Maiser Shani. So Maiser Shani is produce that has to be eaten in Yerushalayim. But obviously it's difficult to carry the produce itself up to Yerushalayim so you could redeem it for money and then bring the money to Yerushalayim. Now, if the owner them themselves redeem it, they have to add on a fifth. So they prefer someone else to redeem it so that they save that extra fifth. So the way to get around this is Omer A person can say to their older children or to their Jewish slaves, here's a coin and you redeem the Meiser Shani. So now when the slave or the child redeems the Meiser Shani, that's someone else redeeming the Meiser Shani and they don't have to pay the extra fifth. So the Gemara wonders, what is the case of this Jewish maid servant who is redeeming the Meiser Shani produce? If the maidservant went through puberty, so she's hit adulthood, then she can no longer be a Jewish maidservant. The halacha is that once a Jewish shifcha hits puberty, she goes free. So it's not possible for there to be a Jewish shifcha 
who is an adult. So it must be that she is still a child. She has not gone through puberty. And still, he's able to give her money and she can redeem the Meiser Shani. And then she turns around and gives him back the coin. So we see that a child could acquire something on behalf of an adult. So the Gemara answers, this is talking about Meiser Bismana Zedra Banan. It's talking about Meiser Shani after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, which is only Dra Banan. So then this could work because because the child maidservant is able to acquire the money and redeem the miser, which is only drabanan. So the Gemara asks, well, if we're talking about Bisman Hazet in this time after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, there's no Amaha Ivriya. There's no longer Jewish Shifchas. The whole halacha of Jewish slaves no longer applies in this time. So obviously, if the Brisa is referring to Jewish slaves, it is not talking about Bisman Hazet. It's talking about in the times of the Beis HaMikdash when the Meiser Shani would also have been Deoraisa. So we're back to the issue. So the Gemara gives a different solution why it's Drabanan it's talking about a potted plant without holes. So the pot is not considered connected to the ground. So the Meiser Shani of that plant is only Drabanan. So now we have a case where Meiser Shani is Drabanan even in the times of the Beis HaMikdash. So there could be a Jewish slave and the maidservant would be a child and still she could redeem the Meiser Shani because it's only Drabanan. So her acquisition of the money is enough to redeem it. So now Rab Chaim points out that in the first step of the proof, the Gemara seemed to assume that when the child acquires the money and then redeems the Meister Shani, that's all on a Torah level, and then returns it to the owner. So according to the Gemara, at that step, it's clearly saying that a child could acquire something on behalf of someone else on a Torah level. So that clearly follows the view of Tosvos because according to Rashi, there was never a possibility of such a thing. The whole debate is whether a child could acquire something for someone else on a Drabanan level. But everybody agrees that on a Torah level, they cannot. So the fact that the Gemara assumes in the question that the child can acquire things on a Torah level and then it answers that no, it's only on a Drabanan level. So that clearly indicates like Tosvos that the debate was whether the child could acquire something for someone else so this was proof to the view that a child could do so. And the answer is that maybe this is only a case of drabanan where everyone agrees that the child could acquire something for someone else. So this Gemara seems to contradict the approach of Rashi and the Rambam and Rab Chaim's explanation that he proposed earlier that according to Rashi, the Gemara is saying that in a case of drabanan, the child doesn't need to actually acquire it because the rabbis waived that right. That's not going to work in this Gemara. Because in the first step in the question, the Gemara seemed to assume that this could work even Mida Oraisa, which according to Rashi was never in the realm of the possible. So how do we make sense of Rashi's reading of the Gemara in this step of the Gemara? So to answer this, Rab Chaim says that we have to understand what is even the proof of the Gemara at all? Where in this case of redeeming Meiser Shani is there any child that is acquiring something on behalf of the adult? There does not seem to be a case of that. The child seems to only be acquiring on their own behalf. So Rab Chaim goes through the different possibilities of what happened here. The father or the owner gave the child a coin to redeem the Meiser Shani. So there's a few different possibilities as to what he might have said to the child. If he says to the child, I am not giving you this coin to belong to you, so the coin still belongs to me, I'm only giving you the coin to go redeem the Meiser Shani. So that's a regular case of shlichus. 
The adult is making the child a messenger to go do a job for them. They're not acquiring anything in this case. The child is not acquiring the coin or the Meister Shani or anything else. They're just taking the coin and going and redeeming the Meister Shani. So that's a regular case of a messenger doing something on behalf of the person that sent them. And that would certainly not work in the case of a child because a child cannot be a messenger. So that cannot be the case of the Brysa. So it must be in the Brysa that the father or the owner gave them the coin that it does belong to them. So now the child acquired the coin and they're going to use their own coin to redeem the Meister Shani. So it's no longer a case of a shliach. It's not a messenger because the child is the owner of this coin and they're using it to redeem the Meister Shani. But if so, says Rab Chaim, that's not a case where the child is acquiring anything on behalf of the adult. The child is acquiring on behalf of themselves. They acquired the coin on their own behalf. So where do we see in that that a child is able to acquire something on behalf of someone else? And when the child acquires on their own behalf, so that clearly works even on a Doraisa level, that comes from the Torah's Kohanim. It interprets Vim Gal Yigal Ishmi Masro. The Torah says that if an Ish, which usually means an adult, redeems their Meiser Shani. So the Medrash says Ish Pratlekatan, that excludes a child. But then it says that what about if the child is nine years or older? So even though that child hasn't hit puberty, but they do have a certain maturity, they understand things about the world. So the Medrash says, that's why the Torah says, Im ga'al yi ga'al. It uses a double language to include that even an older child above nine is able to redeem the Meiser Shani. And that is the stage of maturity of Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, and Nida, Memvav, of Mufla Samuch Le'ish, of a child who's not yet an adult, but they have enough agency and enough understanding to function like an adult in some ways. So one of those ways is that the Medrash says, that they could redeem Meiser Shani on a Torah level. So again, in this case, if the adult gives the child who's a little bit of an older child from nine and up a coin to belong to them, and then the child acquires it for themselves and uses it to redeem the Meiser Shani, that would clearly work on a Torah level because it has nothing to do with acquiring something on someone else's behalf. It's just the child acquiring something on their own behalf. So how can the Gemara bring a proof from this brisa to the issue of whether a child can acquire something for someone else? So Rab Chaim explains this based on a principle that he develops from Babakama Samech Tes. The Gemara says that Master Sheni Sheinu Bershuso, if there's Master Sheni that's not in his control, he cannot redeem it. Because the Torah compares the Master Sheni to his house. So just like a house is in his domain and it's under his control, so to the Meiser Shani that he's redeeming has to be in his control and his domain. Otherwise, he cannot redeem it. So we see from here, says Rab Chaim, that in order to redeem Meiser Shani, there is a rule that there has to be an owner of this Meiser Shani. Now, that doesn't mean only the owner can redeem it. Others could redeem the Meiser Shani, but it has to be done with the permission and the agency of the owner. If the owner does not know or approve of this redemption of the Meiser Shani, then it cannot be done because redeeming Meiser Shani is a process which requires the owner's consent. So that means when someone else redeems the Meiser Shani, they're always acting somewhat on behalf of the owner. So part of what 
what they're doing is benefiting the owner because without the owner's consent, they would not be able to redeem the Meiser Shani. So redeeming the Meiser Shani is always on some level to benefit the owner that the owner wants that to happen. So the redemption of Meiser Shani could be called Zochel Acherim, acquiring something on behalf of someone else. Now, using that, says Rab Chaim, that explains the Gemara in Gitin's proof from this Brisa, because when the child redeems the Meister Sheni, so again, they're acting on some level on behalf of the adult, so they are benefiting the adult and acquiring something for the adult. And the fact that the child is able to do that means that they can acquire not only for themselves, but also for the adult. So that's the proof that the Gemara brings that a child could acquire not only on their own behalf, but even for others on a Torah level. So according to Rab Chaim, the case of the Brisa is in fact where the owner or the father gave the child a coin that belongs to the child. So he gave ownership of it over to the child and then the child redeems the Meiser Shani. So, so far there's been no acquiring on behalf of the adult, but the very fact that a child could act on behalf of the adult to redeem Meiser Shani, that itself is a form of acquiring something for the adult because the adult who owns the produce has to consent to this process of redeeming the Meiser Shani, so the child is benefiting them. So that's the proof of the Gemara. Now, even though the Medrash said that a child is able to redeem Meiser Shani based on the reading of the Psukim of Gaal Yi Gaal, so it sounds like the child has their own ability to redeem Meiser Shani and they don't have to act on behalf of the adult. But says Rab Chaim, there are two different components of this process. One is whether the child is able to do the redemption so that the Medrash says that they are, so long as they're mufla samuch le'ish, they're a little bit of an older child from nine and above, so at that point they have agency and they could do the redemption. But there's still a problem that they're not the owner. The owner of the produce has to consent. So on that level, we need to say that a child is able to function on behalf of others. So from that level, the Gemara proves that a child could acquire something even for another person because in this case, not only is the child doing the redemption, but they're also fulfilling the wish of the owner. So that proves that a child, in addition to being able to acquire for themselves, can also acquire for others. So this is how Rab Chaim makes sense of the Gemara's proof from the case of redeeming my Sarshani. Now Rab Chaim gives another answer. There are two ways for someone else to redeem my Sarshani. So let Let's say Ruvain is redeeming Shimon's Meiser Shani. So it could be that the coin remains Ruvain's and the produce remains Shimon's, but the sanctity transfers. So instead of the produce having the Meiser Shani sanctity, now the coin becomes sanctified and the produce is just regular, but the coin remains Ruvain's and the produce remains Shimon's. The other way to do this is to say that the coin and the produce switch ownership. So originally the coin was Ruvain's and the produce was Shimon's, but Ruvain redeemed the produce. So now the produce, which is not sanctified, belongs to Ruvain and the coin, which is sanctified, switches over to Shimon. So that's the other way to do the redemption. Now, even in the case where a child is redeeming the Meiser Shani that belongs to the adult, so both of these methods are possible, meaning either the child could redeem the Meiser Shani and the coin remains the child's and the produce remains the owner's, 
or the produce and the coin could switch places. So the child redeems the Meiser Sheni and acquires the produce and the coin belongs to the owner. Because in the case of the Mishnah where the owner tells the Shifcha, who's a child, to redeem the Meiser Sheni, so both of those forms of redemption are included. That's how the Yushalmi says it. So the Shifcha could either redeem the Meiser Sheni and keep the coin or redeem the Meiser Sheni and acquire the produce through that redemption. So even when a child redeems someone else's Meiser Sheni, it includes both of these forms of redemption. Now, how is the child able to switch the produce and the coin when a child is not able to acquire and sell things? So how can the child do the second form of redemption where they end up owning the produce and the coin switches ownership to the adult whose produce it had been? How is a child able to affect that sort of redemption when they're not able to acquire or sell things on a Torah level? Says Rab Chaim, because in this case, all they're doing is a redemption. Now, included in that redemption is a switch of ownership of the coin and the produce. But the child is not doing that. That's just something that happens automatically as a result of the redemption. So the child does the redemption. And then as part of that included in the redemption is that the coin and the produce switch ownership. But the child did not do that. So that's how it's able to work, even though ordinarily a child can't do that. But since they are able to redeem my Shani, that's what the Medrash learns from the Pasuk, that Mufla Samuch Laish, an older child, is included in the redemption of my Shani. So as a result of that, they're able to to affect changes which come about automatically through the redemption. So the child redeems the Meiser Sheni and through that the coin now belongs to the owner and they acquire the produce. But says Rab Chaim that this explanation is only enough to overcome the issue that a child is not able to do acquisitions. So they're not included in the whole concept of being able to transfer ownership of objects. So the way to get around that in this case is that since the child is doing the redemption of Meiser Sheni and that they are able to do, so through that they're also able to overcome the limitation that ordinarily they're not able to transfer ownership of an object to themselves or someone else. So in this case, since they're doing it through the Pidyon, the redemption of the Meiser Sheni, so they're able to overcome that issue. But with regards to another issue, which is that a child cannot acquire things on behalf of someone else, so even redemption of Meiser Sheni can't overcome that limitation because that's not a limitation in the child. That's a limitation from the perspective of the other person. It relates to someone else. A child is unable to transfer ownership of something to someone else. So that person is precluded from getting things from a child. So even the redemption of Meiser Sheni is not going to solve that problem because even though the child is able to redeem Meiser Sheni, but from the other person's perspective, the child can't get the object into their ownership. So again, there should be an issue that there's no way for the child to transfer the coin to the ownership of the person and for the child to get the produce in return because the child, even though they can redeem Meiser Sheni, and that allows them to transfer ownership. 
but they can't benefit or acquire something on behalf of someone else because from that person's perspective, this child is not able to accomplish that. And even though the child can redeem my Sersheni, that does not solve that issue. So now we're back to a problem. How can the child, in this case, redeem the Maisersheni and affect the transfer between the produce and the money when they're not able to acquire something on behalf of someone else? So now says Rab Chaim, if that's the case that the Gemara is bringing the proof from, so then the proof makes perfect sense. If the Gemara is focusing on this second case where the child redeems the Maisersheni and switches ownership of the produce and the money, so now the Gemara is asking how is the child able to do that unless we say that a child could acquire on behalf of an adult Mida Oraisa. So the Gemara's proof works perfectly. So if we say that the Gemara's proof focuses on this second form of Pidyon, so then the proof works very well. But Rab Chaim adds that even if we say that the Gemara is bringing a proof from the first type of Pidyon, where the ownership of the produce doesn't change, so the adult maintains their ownership of the produce, just that the sanctity switches to the coin which continues to belong to the child. So even if the Gemara is asking from that case, so again, the proof makes sense. The way Rab Chaim explained it originally, that since the child is able to act on behalf of the adult who is the owner of the produce, so again, we see from there that a child could acquire and act on behalf of someone else, even Mida Oraisa. So the Gemara's proof could fit in to the first form of Pidyon as Rab Chaim explained before, but the Gemara's proof will fit in even better according to the second form of Pidya. But the proof that a child could acquire on behalf of someone else, Mida Oraisa, works in either form of Pidya. So now, based on this analysis, says Rab Chaim in the fifth paragraph that we see that when the Gemara discusses the issue of a child acquiring on behalf of someone else, that is unrelated to Shlichus. It's not that the child is the messenger of the adult to acquire this object. It's a totally different issue. Can the child transfer ownership to someone else totally unrelated to the fact that they cannot be a messenger? So there's two different issues whether the child could function as a messenger and whether they can acquire something on behalf of someone else. And the proof for this is because in the case where the child is redeeming my Sersheni, which again, according to the Gemara, is the case where they're acquiring something on behalf of someone else. So that is not a case of a messenger at all. There's no shlichus because certainly according to the second form of Pidyon, where the child switches the coin and acquires the produce, so they're definitely not acting as a messenger of the adult. They're acting as an agent. They are using their coin to buy the produce of the adult. So the child there is not a shliach and still the Gemara says that it won't work because a child cannot acquire something on behalf of someone else. So we see that these are two different cases. But even according to the first form of pidyon, where the produce does not change ownership, so the child just uses the money to redeem the sanctity of the produce, but the produce remains the adults. But even that is not a case of shlichus. 
Because even though the proof from that case is that since the child can do something that requires the owner's consent, so it's as if they're acting and benefiting the owner, but that's not a case of shlichus. Rab Chaim says that that's a little bit of a different nuance. It's not that the child is the owner's messenger, it's that the child is benefiting and performing the process that the owner consents to. But again, that is different than shlichus. So the fact that the Gemara says that even so, it wouldn't work because a child can't act on behalf of someone else. So that shows us that those are two different concepts. Even if there's no issue of shlichus, still there is a problem with the child acting and acquiring on behalf of someone else. Now, in order to understand why, so Rab Chaim explains a conceptual point about Meiser Shani. This comes from the Mishnah at the beginning of the fifth chapter of Meiser Shani. The Mishnah is talking about how they would identify different produce which was prohibited to eat. So for example, Karim Revai, the fourth year of a vineyard, the produce has to be eaten in Yerushalayim. So the way they would identify the produce that was in its fourth year, as opposed to earlier or later, is that they would put mounds of dirt there. So Rab Shem ben Gamliel says, this is only in the year of Shemitah, when all the produce is open for anybody to eat. So people are going to come in and eat, and they don't realize that this produce is Karim Revai. So it has to be identified as such. But then he adds a point which is relevant to this discussion. The Hatsnuin Meinichnes HaMaos, the modest, which means the righteous, so there was a higher level than identifying that this was Karim Revai produce. They would put a pile of coins. And the righteous would say that anyone who picks from this produce, it's going to be redeemed through this money. So basically the righteous redeem the Karim for everyone else using a pile of their own coins. Now the Rambam records this halacha in Hilchus Meiser Sheni Tes Zion that Snuin Hayumenichnes Hamos Bishnas Shmita. The righteous would put coins in the year of Shmita. Vaomrim Kolanilkat Miperos Revai Elu, and they would say anyone who picks from these fruits of Kerem Revai Mechulal Al Hamos Elu are redeemed through these coins. Sharei Ef Shalivdoso B'Mechubar because they're unable to redeem it when the produce is still connected. So the produce has to be picked first before it could be redeemed, which is why they don't just redeem it immediately. They have to wait until the person picks the produce and then they redeem it through these coins. So that's the way the Rambam codifies this rule in the Mishnah. Now in the year of Shemitah, all the produce is ownerless. So the Kerem Revai produce in this case, in the year of Shemitah, is ownerless. It's Hefker. And even after the produce is picked, so you could say that the person who picks it now acquires it, but even at that point, it remains Hefker, says Rab Chaim, because the halacha follows the view mentioned in the Gemara in Kiddushin Nundalid that Maiser Sheni is Mamun Gavoahu, that Maiser Sheni, Kerem Revai, these produce that have to be eaten in Yerushalayim are like money that's sanctified. It's like it belongs to Hashem. So it doesn't belong to the person who picks it. It remains Hefker. It's still ownerless even after they pick it. So we see from this Mishnah and the Halacha and the Rambam that even Hefker Maiser Sheni still can be redeemed. Now, what about Rab Chaim's idea that
that he based earlier on the Gemara in Babakama that there needs to be an owner of the Meiser Shani in order to redeem it because the Gemara compared it to a house just like a person owns a house so there has to be an owner of the Meiser Shani in order to redeem it. So how can Meiser Shani that's ownerless be redeemed? Says Rab Chaim, it must be putting these sources together that the Gemara only means that if there is an owner, so then it has to be in his control in order to redeem the Meiser Shani. But if there's no owner at all, it's ownerless, so then it can still be redeemed. So it's not that there has to be an owner, it's just if there is an owner, then it has to be in that owner's control and domain. But otherwise, if there is no owner at all, it can still be redeemed. And says Rab Chaim, this must be the view of the Rambam, because again, the Rambam records this case that a person says during Shemitah, anyone who picks the fruit of Karim Revai, it's going to be redeemed through these monies. So the owner is redeeming the Karim Revai that someone else is going to pick and presumably acquire. So in the Tshuvas HaMiuchasus La Ramban, the Tshuvas that were attributed to the Ramban, so he asks, how could that be? The Gemara in Babakama Samechtes that Rab Chaim referenced earlier says that if someone steals a field, but the original owners have not given up hope of getting their field back. So basically the field belongs to the original owners, but there's a thief that's occupying the field. So neither of them can redeem the Meiser Shani produce, the thief, because it doesn't really belong to him and the original owners because they don't have the produce in their control. So in order to redeem the Meiser Shani produce, it needs to belong to the person and be in their control. So in this Sefer attributed to the Ramban, he asks, how can the Rambam then say that the fruit of Hefker can be redeemed by the owners when the owners don't have control of it? The person who picked it has control of it. And we just said from the Gemara in Babakama that if they don't have control, they cannot redeem the Meiser Shani. So says Rab Chaim, it must be that the Rambam held like he just formulated it. That the only time the owners need control of the produce is when there is an owner. So then the only way to redeem the Meiser Shani is if the owner has control of the produce. But if there's no owner at all, this is Hefker, so then it can be redeemed even without the consent of the owner because there is no owner. So it can be redeemed even without the owner having control of it. So that's why the owner is able to redeem the produce of Shemitah, even though they don't have control of it, because there is no owner. It's totally Hefker. Now, the Gemara in Babakama that does compare these two cases, so that's the basis of the Ramban's question, that why is the Rambam ruling against the conclusion of the Gemara in Babakama? So Rab Chaim explains that the Gemara reads that the case of the Tznuin, the modest, the righteous people who redeem the Karim Revai, that goes both on Reb Shimon ben Gamliel as well as the Tanakama. So again, they had a debate. According to the Tanakama, you have to label the pro produce all the years, not just during Shemitah. And according to Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, it's limited only to the Shemitah year when strangers are going to be eating the produce. So basically, there's a debate between the Tanakhama and Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel whether the rules of the Mishnah apply to all years or only Shemitah years. So the Gemara that compares the case of the Tznuin at the end of the Mishnah to the case of Gezel Vlonisyashu Balim, when a thief stole the field, but the owners didn't give up hope, that's referring to the 
way the Tanakama reads the end of the Mishnah, that even in non-Shemitah years, the owners could redeem the Kerem Revai that someone else stole from them. Now, in that case, that's exactly parallel to Gazal Vlonis Yashubalim. Someone stole produce that still belongs to the owners, and still the owners are able to redeem the produce. So even though it's not in their domain, they're able to redeem the produce that belongs to them. So the way that Tanakama presents this halacha, it is true that this case is parallel to the discussion in the Gemara and Babakama. But says Rab Chaim, the Rambam rules like Rab Shimon ben Gamliel that the whole case is limited only to the year of Shemitah. So now the whole case is fundamentally different because it's talking only about Hefker Kerem Revai. It does not apply in the years when the owners actually own the produce because then the Rambam would agree that they cannot redeem the produce because it's not in their domain. It was stolen from them. They don't have control over it. But in the year of Shemitah, says the Rambam, then everyone agrees that the owners could redeem the produce even though it doesn't belong to them because it doesn't belong to anyone. So the only time the owners have to have control of the produce to redeem it is when it is owned. There can't be a split between who owns it and who has control of it because then it's not like house and the Torah compared it to a house. So just like the person has control of their house, they have to have control of their produce. But that's only if there is an owner to begin with. In the year of Shemitah, when there is no owner, so then the technical owners who would have owned this in a non-Shemitah year, they could redeem the produce even though it's not in their domain because someone else took it, but that's fine because it's Hefker. So that's why the Rambam does record this halacha. It does not contradict the Gemara in Baba Kama because the Rambam is limiting it only to the year of Shemitah when there is no owner. And again, as Rab Chaim said earlier, even once the person picks the produce, there's still no owner because it's Mamon Gavoa. So the Rambam put all this together that since the Karim Revai and the Maiser Sheni belong to Hashem, so the person who picks it does not acquire it. So the produce remains ownerless before it was picked as well as after. So once there is no owner, says the Rambam, then the people who own the field in non-Shemitah years are able to redeem the produce even though it's in someone else's domain. So from this whole tangent, we see that when it comes to Meiser Shani of Hefker, it could be redeemed even though there is no owner because having an owner is not a necessity in order to redeem Meiser Shani. So now at the end of the long fifth paragraph, Rab Chaim says that applying this idea back to the Gemara in Gitin, we can answer the question that he asked originally on Rashi's approach. Because based on this idea that one can redeem Meiser Shani even if there is no owner, there's no Bailim, so now even in a case where there is an owner of the Meiser Shani, still when the person redeems Meiser Shani, it's really that person who redeems it that's changing the status of the Meiser Shani, not the owner. Because you don't even need an owner to begin with. If there is an owner, so then there's a technicality that the redeemer 
convert needs the consent of the owner in order to redeem the Meiser Shani. But that's a technicality because there's no requirement for there to be an owner in order to redeem Meiser Shani. It could be done even without the owner. So we see that the redeemer is really the one that's accomplishing the change and transferring the sanctity and it's not the owner who's doing that. So the redeemer is not the messenger of the owner. The owner is on some level irrelevant to the process of redemption. We do need their consent because when there is an owner, so there is a technical requirement that they have to consent to the process of pidyon, but the owner is not the one that is accomplishing the pidyon. It's the redeemer who is accomplishing the pidyon, so they are not a shliach of the owner. So the way this works is not that the redeemer is a messenger of the owner, it's that they are benefiting the owner. They are accomplishing something which is going to benefit the owner, but ultimately they are doing this on their own. So now applying this back to the Gemara in Gitin, this explains how Rashi reads the Gemara. Again, the problem was that Rashi holds that a child could never acquire something on behalf of someone else, Mida Oraisa. The only debate in the Gemara is whether he could do so, Midra Banan. So how does the Gemara entertain the possibility that a child could redeem the Meiser Shani and benefit the owner, Mida Oraisa? The Gemara seems to be implying, unlike Rashi, that a child could acquire something for someone else, Mida Oraisa. So now, says Rab Chaim, putting all of this together, there is a basic difference between the case of Meiser Shani versus the case that Rashi was talking about at the beginning of the Gemara. In the case of Meiser Shani, the Redeemer is not a shliach at all of the owners. So that's a key difference between a regular transaction where the person acquiring something on behalf of someone else is operating as their messenger on some level. So there's a key distinction between a regular case of transferring ownership or acquiring something for someone else versus redeeming the Meiser Shani because when it comes to Meiser Shani, there is no element of shlichus as Rab Chaim just argued. So that's why Rashi agrees that in the case of Meiser Shani, a child could potentially acquire for someone else even Mida Oraisa, meaning fundamentally Rashi agrees that the debate whether a child could acquire on behalf of someone else is a De Oraisa issue. So on a theoretical level, Rashi agrees with Tosfos. But Rashi points out that there is a problem in the application of this idea to a normal case where a child acquires something on behalf of someone else, because in that case, not only do they need to acquire it for someone else, they also need to be their shliach. And a child cannot be a shliach at all. So that's why Rashi says in a normal transaction, the child can only acquire it for someone else, Midra Banan. Because since there's an element of shlichos that's required, that cannot be Daoraisa. It can at most be Dra Banan. So Rashi differentiates between the theoretical concept and the practical application. Theoretically, it is possible if the child does not need to be a shliach to acquire for someone else, even Midra but practically, in order to acquire something, a child does need to be a shliach. And that's not possible to oraisa. So the only way for that to work is midra banan. So that's why Rashi says in the debate between Rav Asi and Shmuel, whether a child can acquire on behalf of someone else, that's only a dra banan question. Because the element of shlichus means that at most the child could acquire midra banan. But even Rashi would agree that if there was a case which did 
did not require shlichus. So then, according to the view of Rav Asi, a child could acquire on behalf of someone else, even midoraisa. And the one pristine case of this, where a person acquires for someone else without being their shliach, is when someone redeems the Maiser Shani and the owners benefit from that. Because that does not require shlichus. So that would be the one exception where even Rashi would agree that if a child can acquire on behalf of someone else, like Ravasi holds in Maiser Shani, that is going to work even Midoraisa. So this explains the whole discussion according to Rashi. Ordinarily, Rashi holds that according to Rav Asi, a child acquires on behalf of someone else only Midra Banan because of the problem of Shlichus. And Shmuel disagrees with him and says that a child cannot even acquire Midra Banan. So when the Gemara answers that these cases are talking about a Drabanan, what it means is, as Rab Chaim explained, that since the rabbis created this halacha, they did not require a real acquisition. So even the child taking it is sufficient to fulfill that halacha requirement. The one exception to this whole thing, according to Rashi, is the case of Maiser Shani, where since the Torah said that the child could redeem the Maiser Shani, and it does not require shlichus at all, so according to Rav Asi, that would work even on a Doraisa level to benefit the owners. So this very brilliant, wide-ranging discussion and pulling it all together explains how Rashi makes sense of that step in the Gemara. And now Rab Chaim adds on another brilliant step. In the last paragraph, he pulls this all together and now answers the original question on the Rambam that he began the whole piece with. Again, the issue with the Rambam was that he said the reason a non-Jew cannot acquire things on behalf of others is because they permanently can never be a shliach. So the question was that a child also cannot acquire things for other people, even though they only temporarily cannot be a shliach. Eventually, they will be able to be a shliach. So even a temporarily invalid shliach also cannot acquire on behalf of others. So why does the Rambam explain that a goy cannot acquire for others only because he's permanently an invalid shliach? Says Rab Chaim, based on this whole discussion now, the answer is that the Rambam read the debate between Rav Asi and Shmuel like Rashi that they're arguing whether a child could acquire for someone else Midra Banan. Now, the view of Rav Asi is that they could do so. And the reason is, even though they cannot be a Shliach, but the rabbis enacted that in order to acquire for someone else, there is a rabbinic form of Shlichus that works. So from Rav Asi, we learn this new concept that even if a child cannot be a Shliach, the rabbis could create a lower form of Shlichus Midra Banan, which is going to help the child acquire on behalf of someone else. Now, even Shmuel, who the Rambam rules according to Shmuel, but Shmuel does not agree on that concept. Shmuel says that a child doesn't have the maturity, the agency, in order to acquire something. So that's why they can't acquire for others. But even Shmuel agrees that there is a technical possibility of the rabbis creating a shliach midrabanan, even if according to the Torah, this person is not a shliach. So now the Rambam saw that this discussion and he saw this concept of a shliach midra banan so the rambam was bothered why didn't they institute such a form of shlichos for a non-jew the only reason a non-jew cannot acquire for a jew is only because they're not a shliach the non-jew is not missing maturity or agency they have the full das the full wisdom and maturity in order to make acquisitions so the only reason that they cannot acquire on behalf of a jew is because they're 
missing the shlichos component. So why didn't the rabbis institute a shliach midrabanan in that case? So to answer that question, the Rambam borrowed an answer that the Gemara gave in a different case, in the opposite situation, where a Jew acquires on behalf of the non-Jew. So the Gemara said that only works for a child, not for a non-Jew, because a non-Jew is permanently invalidated from being a shliach. So when it comes to shlichos, the non-Jewish adult is lower than the child. So that's how the Gemara explained why a Jew could acquire for a child and not for a non-Jew. So the Rambam applied that same logic to explain why they didn't institute a shliach midrabanan for the non-Jew to acquire for the Jew. The reason is because the non-Jew is permanently invalidated from being a shliach. So they were not going to create a shliach midrabanan in that case. Only for the child, which is only a temporary limitation of shlichos. So there the rabbi stepped in and said that he is a shliach midrabanan. So that's how the Rambam understood the framework of these halachas. And that's why he applies this logic to answer something different than the way the Gemara used it. Because the Rambam was bothered by this issue of why can't a non-Jew be a shliach midrabanan like a child? And the answer is because a non-Jew is permanently an invalid shliach. So this is Rab Chaim's approach to explain the language of the Rambam. This is again a very sprawling piece and he touches on a number of different points. But the key conceptual point has to do with Meiser Shani. That in order to redeem Meiser Shani, it requires the consent of the owners. But Rab Chaim limits this only to when there are owners. If there are no owners, the Meiser Shani can still be redeemed. Now from this, Rab Chaim proves that when someone else redeems the Meiser Shani with the the consent of the owners, they're not a shliach of the owner at all. They're doing it totally on their own. It's just a technicality that if there are owners, they require their consent. But if there are no owners, so we see that the full redemption could still be done, it does not require by necessity that there be owners of the produce. So that's sort of the main conceptual framework that Rab Chaim develops. Now, in addition to that, he also sets up the whole debate between Rashi and the Rambam versus Tosfos as to how to understand the whole discussion in the Gemara between Rav Asi and Shmuel, whether a child could acquire on behalf of others. And according to Rashi and the Rambam, Rab Chaim develops this point that there is a shliach midrabanan, even though the child is not a valid shliach, but the rabbis instituted a certain element of shlichos, which is different than Tosvos, who understands that the child could be a shliach on a Torah level in something that they're able to do for themselves, like acquiring something. So that's another element that Rab Chaim discusses in this piece. Now, interestingly, the Chuvas Oneg Yom Tov, who is the Rav in the Mir, so in Simon Tzadi Gimel, he goes through a lot of this similar framework. So he points out that when it comes to redeeming Meiser Sheni, it's not about Shlichus. And again, he proves it from the case of Hefker, like Rab Chaim. And he says that's why a child could redeem Meiser Sheni, even though they can't be a Shliach. So he goes over a lot of the same terrain as Rab Chaim. And it's interesting because Rab Moshe Shmuel Shapiro, in his marginal comments on Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim, so he very often will note comparisons between Rab Chaim's ideas and a tshuva of the Oneg Yantif. So it seems like there was some similarity between some of the ideas that they develop. Now, the Oneg Yantif, though, does in one point differ from Rab Chaim, and this is an issue that Rab Shach and Avi and Hilchus Mechira, Perak Chavbez, Halacha Tess, as well as Rab Shmuel Rizovsky and his Shiurim and Gitin, Samechei Amad Aleph, so they both also ask, which is, according to Rab Chaim, 
if the produce is ownerless, so then anyone can redeem it and they don't need the consent of the owners because there is no owner. But if there is an owner and someone else stole the produce, so it's not in the reshus, in the control of the owner, so then the owner cannot redeem the Meiser Shani because it's not in their control and that's one of the requirements for redeeming Meiser Shani. And Rab Chaim agrees with both those points. So the question that they ask against Rab Chaim is how could this be? How could it be that someone who has no control or ownership or rights to the produce at all because it's Hefker is still able to redeem the Meiser Shani whereas the actual owners cannot redeem the Meiser Shani unless they also have physical control of it. That seems backwards. These people are actually the owners of the Meiser Shani, so why shouldn't they be able to redeem it even if it's not in their control? So to answer this, the Oneg Yantif goes in a different direction than Rab Chaim, and he says that it must be that when someone steals something, they do have partial ownership of it, so that's why the owners are unable to redeem the Meiser Shani because it's not fully theirs anymore. It's not just that it's not in their control, but they lost an element of ownership. It's like joint ownership between the owners and the thief. So from this, the Onayyantif proves that the thief has some ownership in the object, so it's not fully the owners any longer, and that's why they can't redeem it, as opposed to the Hefker, even though the Redeemer doesn't own it at all, but neither does anybody else. So that's why it works. Whereas Rab Chaim doesn't mention any of that, Rab Chaim seems to understand it differently, that when there is an owner, so then the rule that it has to be in the owner's control kicks in. But if there's no owner, so then none of these requirements that it be like Beso apply, so anyone could redeem it, even though they have no ownership or control of it at all.